Hey buddy lawyers welcome to the podcast today we are going to have a chat with Ms Mishika Singh she is an independent legal practitioner and founder of a legal aid non-profit uh, named Neeb uh, we also have Ritamra Kalra with us today as a co-host and uh, welcome to the show Mishika what's up thank you for sana thank you for having me and hi Ritamra hello everyone hi Mishika So Mishika uh I've been following you on LinkedIn for like many months and you have some interesting posts recently I read about something you went to the court and you have you just have to take a date and because the judge was not there in the courtroom like he was on leave or something like that so these are some incidents you know which uh, young lawyers specifically come across and it's quite funny sometimes but it's also sad sometimes because the clients come all the way from you know uh, we, especially uh, in supreme court and all uh, they come from states like kerala and stuff and then if they <laughs> uh, come to the court and get a date just because the judges or leave or something like that it's quite disheartening but we'll talk about those uh, things too let's start with your career like from the law school itself please tell us tell us something about your law school days like which subjects did you like the most in your law school and how was uh, your law school life in general well background i did my law for actually 3 years before that i did journalism and i actually wanted to be a journalist because i thought you know writing is very powerful the men the pen is mightier than the sword sort of a thing but when i was interning i realized that's not the case so i switched to law because mm-hmm. again i wanted to do some work which has some impact so i did 3 years of law from faculty of law and this has been long back and i think the favorite subjects if you think about it honestly uh, at five subjects every semester and for one or two semesters we didn't even have teachers properly for the subjects so i don't think i on this studied all the subjects but i think my favorite would be jurisprudence i really like the study of law the origin of all these theories that we have and uh, i think that's something that really interested me and uh, initially everyone was like criminal law is what they want to do and everyone was about i CRPC evidence, but uh, for me it was always criminology and uh, jurisprudence. I think I just like the idea of studying in depth of where things are coming from and how things are originating. Apart from that, I don't think I had any favorite subjects per se. Mishika, jurisprudence is one of the subjects I think every law student hates. Like I was bored at it. Yeah. It was so boring. I was going to say it that was, like, also hard. Most uh, I dislike subject in my class as well. <laughs> Yes. Yeah, it was an elective for us, and uh, hardly any people uh, opted for it. Whoever did also ended up being oh, an elective in your college subject. I think so. I did law so long back that I can't even remember. But when yeah, did you graduate, by the way? Two thousand fourteen. So it's been a while. Fourteen. Yeah. I'm also twenty seventeen. Pass out by the way. Yeah, so yeah, three years really later. Is, I would have done another degree is, in that time. <laughs> sure. Sure. and also i wanted to ask like everybody says clc is one of those colleges where it teaches you practical skills like if you want to be a lawyer go to clc how true is that i think I clc only teaches you i think see honestly uh, i think it prepares you for litigation because there's a lot of hustle like you have to hustle to you know get your admission done in time then cases uh, that are actually good their classes are over flooding so sometimes what used to happen that if we had a very good teacher but before their lecture there was some other lecture so by the time we got to our classroom for the good teacher lecture 
other students who already come and take those seats and you know there was a lot of annoyance and fighting happening because of that because out of five subjects you would get definitely one good teacher if you were lucky you'd get two good teachers otherwise i would say it was mostly on what you would make of it and uh, law faculty like every batch clc had like 900000 students mm. and i think by the time you get to third year around 700 graduates but uh, a lot of them were there only because they got good ranks so they could get the hostel in the university and they were prepping for other competitive exams civils and all so not everyone was motivated by law uh, the age group was also different uh, some people came right after three years of whatever course they done or four years or five years depending on where they were coming from but there were a lot of people who were in their 50s 60s people with you know sometimes they would come with their children and sit outside class and see whatever notes they could take so it was it was a very uh, worldly experience so to say i think it preps uh, someone for litigation definitely there's so much hustle for everything uh, i think it's a good starting ground to just prepare you for a life of uh, a lot of movement and a lot of hustle bustle all the time i think this right. this is a experience which almost like all law school students get like uh, especially uh, those who are not into nlus like their students and their teachers have like very less age gap <laughs> most of the time like many students have that yeah on my first day what happened so we didn't know this right so on the first day you went and you sat and every time an older person entered you would all stand up like the teachers so initially it was quite entertaining for us to be able to figure out only who's the teacher who's the student but yeah so how is this that different like i always thought somebody who has done their graduation in one subject and then they opt for law i always thought they would be more serious about law like for people who did five years like me everyone just went into it and they were just figuring it out like exploring i always thought somebody who did clc wala thing 3 plus 3 they would be more serious at least about the subject like they want to do law 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 posting like i think that's for all the graduation like in 12th you don't really know what's happening so it's only when you do whatever you do your graduation like so many of my friends are engineering and now they're doing event management and some creative things because you know you just jump into graduation not really thinking what you want to do with life it's mostly like what do i want to do next what is my interest that sort of thing so theoretically are you correct that people who theoretically who have come to law fact should be more serious about law but i wouldn't say so like uh, there was just a uh, uh, i think you know just a part of that, that audience which was there for study of law like i said you know there were a lot of people who were already working in other things or were just at home so during the exams like in our class so it was more like uh, developing a skill set for them uh, and maybe just you know study something new but not like the intent of practicing every day So, like you, you must graduated like what at like twenty fourteen at twenty four twenty four. You were finished with law. I graduated. Then I was twenty three. Yes, twenty three. Right. So you stepped into litigation. I did. No? I joined you, a firm. You always knew you wanted to do litigation. Yeah, I was very sure about what kind of work I want to do and how I want to do it. So when I started with law, I knew that uh, five years of uh, PQA and I want to do something of my own. I want to set up my own organization. the kind of work i wanted to do but those five years i had to figure out how to build that for myself so i started with a firm that has switched to a chamber practice and then i started out my own practice actually quite early along with my um, other things that i was doing like even while uh, in employment like in the chamber practice i had the option to take up my own cases if i had the time so as early as 2016 i started taking my own cases actually 2015 august i took my first independent case 
So it's like been a long time, and then I, I was working with it. the firm. Hmm. I think your firm was really nice. When I was working with the firm, like there was a there was an embargo. Like you cannot take, you you can take up cases, but then you will have to devote more time with the firm, which is all always a thing of clash. Because I, I think everybody who steps into litigation wants to set up their own thing, like at some point at least. Yeah, like in litigation, I think that's usually the end goal. Uh, because you know, if you're building for someone, might as well be that someone. Build you know, for you're yourself. Constantly building a practice, networking, clients, all of these things. So I think it's a good idea to eventually look at setting up your own practice. But I do also understand that I come from a place of a lot of privilege. My family is in Delhi, so it's it was easier for me to decide. Okay, I can struggle for some time because at least I don't have to pay rent. My three meals are taken care of. And, you know, my clothes are getting washed. So that that urgency to earn money, um, so to say, could have been dispensed with in my case. But I don't think a lot of people have those kind of privileges. So even though the thought is there, uh, but I'm conscious that you know I was quite lucky to be able to do what I wanted to do, and that's all thanks to the privileges that I just stated. And not everyone can be in that situation. So I understand why in litigation also jobs are important. And I saw this around COVID, and a lot of people were you know at least in chamber practice and all they were let off, and uh, they couldn't afford to stay in Delhi because you know even. In any case, litigation doesn't pay a lot when you start starting out. Um, for the next three, four years, it doesn't pay much. So you know, you're just making ends meet sort of thing. And uh, when something like COVID happens, it makes you realize that you need constant um, money to be coming into your account to be able to sustain yourself in a city which is not your primary city. It's not a city of your residence primarily. So that way, I think uh, the desire may be there. But um, I think only the lucky few may be able to implement, uh, you know, uh, things to get to that uh, end goal. But I think with that desire, like you said, chamber at least firms pay you well, well enough to have that stable income. But like you said, chamber practice it does not pay you at all. You cannot make anything meet. Like you will have to find your own clients to sustain yourself. I think that's with privilege. That's somehow a necessity also. Because chamber practices pay you nothing. So, like, what what was your vision with the organization? How you? I also also you were impaneled with Delhi High Court Legal Services Committee. What is the process for getting impaneled with Delhi High Courts? Okay, so the Delhi High Court has a Legal Services Committee. You have to be enrolled for I think five years to qualify, and then there's ten years. So they have different panels. There's civil, criminal. And there's mediation and now they have matrimonial separately. I think it started uh, this time only. And once you apply, uh, you apply through a form which has basic details. Then they shortlist you for an interview. And the interview is usually done by a sitting judge and the senior advocate. And uh, if you clear that, you're on the panel. That's a fairly simple process. It takes a lot of time. Like I applied in March of 2021 and my final appointment was around Christmas of 2021. So nine months of, you know, things. So I've also heard like people need jacks to get impaneled with that. How true is that? I didn't have a jack. So I don't know. Maybe again, I just got lucky. I don't know. Uh, but uh, if I would have used a jack, then I would have a better idea whether it works or not. But I'm a first generation lawyer. I have no jack. Yeah. And no one will disclose if he or she has used the jack or to get at that place, right, Ritamra? Not on <laughs> Yeah, probably. See, I don't know anyone who's categorically told me that, you know, this is how I got it. So, <laughs> but I, 
there may be something like that like i can't say it because i don't know how my um the first form that you fill out has basic details like you know for your details of your degree and uh and all and after that i would think that everyone gets shortlisted for the interview you have to upload two orders of the high court uh so maybe there's something that i don't know but yeah, again like the jack situation i don't have any fact to use so uh, i can't comment on that so uh, when did you start with the organization neve like what was your vision with it you're you're already impaneled like why do you like there are organizations like delhi high court legal services committee then there are organizations like dlsa like why did you think there's still a need for an organization like neve um okay let me take those questions one by one the organization we started in 2020 so it's been a while and uh, we recently got funded by azim premji before that we were uh, making ends meet on our own and uh, just a group of passionate lawyers and non lawyers and social workers coming together and wanting to do something good uh, that is how we started so it's the organization is now 2 years old my impanelment happened like it started this year only so i was already uh, knee deep or neck deep or head deep or however deep i was in the organization when the impanelment happened and to come to your last question about why is there a need the need is um we do community uh, work um the idea of the social justice lawyering the kind of work that we doing is is to make justice accessible and justice accessible is at different stages so you know you need legal awareness you need someone to provide you legal aid and that person also has to be accessible so the place that we work from there for someone to even come to high court for a matter is a big deal you know just to figure out how to get there uh, firstly they don't have that kind of awareness about their rights are getting violated so if you don't know what your rights are how do you ascertain what's getting violated so uh, i think the need for legal aid is always going to be there in our country i think law is never taught in schools unless you opt for law as your higher education you don't know about even basic laws like you know i know well educated women who don't know about the miscarriage law or the policies that their company should have and these are educated people so unless it hits home no one really makes an effort and when it does the first thing they do is google it but the community that we are working in you know has those one phone for five people in the family if the bed uh, owner is going out to one the phone stays at home just in case someone needs to contact so obviously they're not going to google that you know this has happened and what are my options so there's a need to be going out in the community and uh, helping people understand what their rights are so at least they have a knowledge of um, where they can go if their rights are getting violated or even to understand if their rights are getting violated or not so i think you know for organizations like right, need the need is always going to be there also you were saying Secretary. that when you were in law school itself you had started working on the organization can you go a bit deeper into that so i hadn't started working on the organization i had an idea of what i wanted to do and uh, so uh, throughout college i used to do only like legal workshops here and there if i got some time but that was mostly negligible but since 2016 i started collect uh, uh, conducting these legal awareness workshops i would go to low income communities i would collaborate with ngos or you know just get the domestic helps in one area of uh, let's say one society or one sector in noida something like that and just give them basic knowledge about Okay, what is an FIR? You know, how can you get an FIR done? What happens if you're not able to file an FIR? What is the different kind of abuses under domestic violence? So I started building on that since 2016. But the idea was to 
get to a place where I can also provide legal aid, you know, because going for a session and um, explaining the law is different. And uh, actually taking up someone else's case is much different. You need to be committed financially because they are unable to pay. You need to be committing your time for it, knowing that, uh, you know, they're not in a position to pay. So that was only uh, later that I started uh, being able to even afford that kind of uh, luxury that I can take someone else's case and not charge them for it. But um, I think, uh, you know, individuals always have a limitation. Like if I was just doing this on my own, I wouldn't have an Azeem Premji funding me. They wouldn't be like, okay, Michika, well done. Let's give you a lot of money. Mm-hmm. And it doesn't work like that. So you need an organization to sort of have a structure uh, to the kind of things that you want to do. And uh, I honestly believe that uh, if you have a good team, you can do much more wonderful work than you can do just alone. Of course. Because there's, you know, a bunch of ideas that are coming in, but everyone comes with a different skill set. I may be very good at uh, in court, but someone may be very good at engaging with the community. Another person may be very good at approaching sensitive matters in a, in a particular way, which skill set maybe I don't have and I can only develop by working with them. So that was the sort of uh, trajectory that uh, the organization has seen. But uh, the cementing happened, uh, I came back from my master's around 2019. And of course, at that time, all the protests and the CA and detentions and all were happening. So my work started with uh, helping people who were getting detained. So basically to say that if you're getting detained, these are your rights, irrespective of what your political ideology is. You're a citizen of the country, so your rights are going to be there. Or you may be protesting for the right thing, for the wrong thing. You may like CA, you may reject CA. Whatever it is, you still have your rights. So the idea was to be protecting those rights. And then we were working on ground, uh, a group of lawyers, just an informal collective, started going to protest and seeing if people are getting detained. And just, you know, we would uh, send out information saying, if you're going for this protest, these are the 10 things you should remember. These are your duties, these are your rights. What to do in case you're getting detained? What to do in case the police ask for your phone? Just general information because a lot of the people who were out in the streets were young students. And these young students, again, you know, the Josh is there, the Jajba is there, but the knowledge is not there. So with your Josh and Jajba, you also need to have the knowledge of if something goes wrong, how can I get some help or what are my rights or what are my duties? So that's how we started. Unfortunately, in 2020, February, we saw the riots that happened in Delhi. And uh, immediately after that, the um, Delhi government announced the compensation scheme. So major work of ours started around that time and it started helping people to access that compensation that the Delhi government had uh, announced. They didn't announce any procedure. They didn't announce any, you know, uh, what documents they needed, nothing. So you know, these people who were already, you know, in an area where they didn't have a lot of knowledge or they were just moving on with their lives. Suddenly there are riots, they've lost their shops, they've lost their houses, some people have lost their lives, limbs, there's injuries, bullet injuries that people have sustained. Now they've been told, okay, you can get compensation and this is the scheme. But they don't know where to go, how to file, what's the form, how to fill that form. So we set up camps in that area. Uh, a lot of collectives came together to set up these camps and we helped around like the camp that uh, not need this is a collective of uh, various other lawyers that was there. Uh, Neem didn't exist at that point in time. Uh, was set up and we helped around 400 people just, you know, just file their forms. If they have to file an FIR, you just write the complaint, go to the police, tell them that take two copies, get a stamp or DD, uh, DDI number on the uh, Xerox that you have. So just these things we started doing. Then again, unfortunately, COVID happened. So during COVID, obviously the problems the people were facing were much different. It wasn't about 
their compensation or their rights was about you know roti kapda uh, and mm. makan you know they didn't have a place to stay they didn't have food to eat and we thought we'll provide them with dry rations and they're like the houses burnt like when we cook this dry ration this dal and chawal that you were sending for us so it sort of shifted in terms of the work that we were doing around um, june uh, may june things started settling a bit and in june we filed our first compensation so by june me was very much there and we filed the first case for claiming compensation in the delhi high court and july is when we got formally registered as a that has been the trajectory and you know the work sort of uh, was tailored for us now of course we're doing a bunch of other things we're working in uh, we're working on the rights of muslim women we're working a lot on domestic violence we're helping uh, with a lot of social entitlement camps in that area so we uh, help two three more than two three aadhar card camps where people can get their aadhar cards made updated uh, there are a lot of laborers in that area so we helping them get the labor cards made so that they can access the schemes that have been announced by the government because otherwise you know when you look at a labor card now the laborer is supposed to upload a photo which is 10 kb in a pdf which laborer is going to know what 10 kb is and what pdf is the other option that they have is that they go to you know the cyber cafe people they charge whatever they want if things happen they happen if they don't they are no one to complain to because the delhi government has a helpline where you call and they come to your house and do these things but uh, again you know there's sort of a mistrust because of things that are outside your vicinity per se like which are not physically tangible so for them it's easier to go to a cyber cafe and get duped there than trust an automated phone thing which can help them get uh, their labor card made so those are the kind of things that are that we uh, doing now so it's mostly working with that community making sure that the community gets uplifted because of the kind of work we do so the neve as an organization completely doing pro bono work yeah right and you recently mentioned ki you have also got funding with azim premji how did that happen to you like how no, much of work making it ritamra <laughs> So much of work. She told you just now. She was speaking at a stretch for That's how like around ten minutes. People notice the work. People notice the work. Someone connected us to Azim Premji. We spent eight nine months speaking to them, and uh, yeah, I think they had some faith in the work that we're doing and the fact that we can do better if we have a funding in place. That's how it happened. So this is how uh, you uh, paid your first salary, I guess, the post you yes. had wrote. <laughs> Yes, that is how finally on first of October my first salary from Me Foundation for Legal Aid came, and I can't tell you. I think it was one of the highest points in my life till date. So yeah, it was it was very good. Like still, I'm talking about it. It's giving me goose flesh right now. It was it, it was very uh, it was very emotional moment for me. In fact, the day I got the call for the funding, also it was around eight or nine in the morning, and I was just having a late morning. So I woke up and I got a call and I thought it would be one of those things that okay you have to fill this form or something, and uh, they're like oh how are you and what's happening? Oh by the way congratulations you have been granted the fund and you know before they could finish the sentence I just started crying and um, after that my husband was sleeping so after the call I just went to him and I was trying to shake him so he turned around and just saw me crying in the morning and he's like is everything okay are you fine? I'm like no I'm just very happy. He's like what has happened? Like can you please tell me? So yeah, like I think Azim Prem just gave me some really uh, good milestones and moments in my life. Like even when the funding came, it was we were working hard towards it. But you know, still, when you actually cinch the deal, it's a different 
uh, feeling all together. It's it's like acknowledgement that the work you're doing actually does have some impact. It's not it's not ju- just you wanting to well pursue your own dreams. You're actually alongside being able to help other people. And how does this funded thing works? Like the process, uh, and how like how many types of fundings are there? Uh, can you just elaborate on that? So Azim Premji usually uh, looks at organizations which have been there for three years or more. The first time I got in touch with them, we were not even a year old. But you know, I just dropped a line saying, "Hello, we are doing this work. Please give us money." Sort of thing. That didn't get taken up. But eventually, Azim Premji was looking to support some young organizations working in this social legal field, sort of a thing. And that's how the conversation started. Someone who had volunteered at the Uh, camp that I had mentioned, we'd set up right after the riots for the mm. compensation camp. Someone had volunteered over there, and they connected us to someone at Azim Premji, and one thing led to the other. So mm. this is not this is not a regular process of funding that they had. We are their pilot project. They selected some five six organizations, and we are one of them. And Young you had applied to multiple uh, such organizations. for funding actually we did apply to a couple of organizations i won't say multiple but uh, you know prasanna the problem is that we are all lawyers and we're looking to do some good work so we don't know uh, very like at least we didn't at that point in time know um, how to run an ngo we you know we're not uh, people who can manage an ngo so every time we uh, worked on a proposal and asked us for a budget we were ill equipped to even think uh you know what kind of budget we need so it was very basic saying okay five people this much money that sort of a budget but with azim premji we actually got to list down saying okay salary is this much uh, program activities this much travel this much in program activities what we looking at if we doing one legal awareness workshop per month that's 12 in a year how much are we spending per workshop because if we calling the women and if there's lunch provided or something we have to account for that if we publishing any material we have to account for that so they actually with azim premji now we better prepared to pitch for another funding if we have to but before that i think we were just trying uh, to sort of see where we stand and a lot of learning we did only by filling out those funding forms you know because they asked us the right questions so we were able mm-hmm. to be like oh you know when they're asking us uh, what's your plan like what work have you done in the last 6 months and how it will go in the next 2 years it's not something we thought of we were just like okay whatever work is coming we doing it wasn't very planned initially it was already there was so much work with the compensation cases and all so uh, i think with after the impremity we definitely more prepared in terms of the budget the program the kind of work we want to undertake the kind of work we don't want to do but at that point in time it was very like let's see you know where it takes us it was more like learning on the go okay so can you tell us uh, what you have in mind with respect to me and it's like what are your future plans with regards to uni i think um, definitely working more in the community like uh, at least uh, immediate and long term goals are related to the extent that uh, we've been in this community at least for the last two years and we intend to stay till in that area everyone knows that if they need any legal advice this is the organization that they should go to so that is the aim that we have how we are getting to it is that we have these social entitlement camps that i told you that we do it so mm-hmm. now earlier we used to do it ourselves uh, saying okay now you come we will help you with this thing now we have started collaborating with dlsa so the dlsa collaborates with us to set up these camps 
So expansion is more about collaboration for us. We don't want to reinvent the wheel. If someone's already doing good work, we'd rather collaborate with them and, you know, sort of introduce the legal sphere to it. Like there are organizations which are working in the field of women's rights, but in terms of menstruation or in terms of hygiene or in terms of education. So we're collaborating with them to say, okay, you're already doing this work. So you already have a set audience and we would like to introduce that audience to some legal rights. So that's how we're looking to expand by working together because eventually, you know, the goal is the same. The goal is to do some work which helps change uh, someone's life for, the, for better. So I think uh, that's, a, that's, that's what we're looking at as of now. Is the organization working pan-Delhi or any area specific? Yeah, right now we're in Delhi and NCR. We have uh, colleagues who help us with the cases which requests we get. But we get a lot of requests which are not from Delhi. So then we try and connect them to lawyers that we know over there who are working in the field of social justice. So we know their background. We know the kind of work they're doing. We know, you know, they, they're in the, like the clients who've reached out to us are, are in good hands. Uh, but physically, yeah, we're in Delhi right now. And how big is the organization now? We formally we two lawyers, one community worker and one uh, center coordinator. Informally, there is a bunch of other people who helped us get to where we are. Uh, and like we have a lawyer in high court, we have a social worker who's now just become a lawyer. We have another person who is just, we got fortunate that he was in Delhi uh, around that time. Uh, he's, a, he's a lit student from Harvard who's now working in a, a US labor law organization. Uh, you know, he did a bunch of good work with us. So informally, there have been a lot of people uh, with whose support we've been able to get where we are. But formally, the team is four people right now. That's something great. Like with four people, uh, you have reached this uh, at this level. Yeah, like I said, you know, that's just formally. Like we have one person who helps us with all our mediation cases. He's a practicing advocate in the Delhi High Court. And uh, like I said, the other trustee that I have with me, he is doing some wonderful work. Like he's done some great work with the people in the community in the last two years. So it's not formally, it's four people. Officially, that's that's what you will find. But informally, it's just a lot of good people who've done some really excellent work and still continue to do so. Cool, cool. Okay, uh, so Mishika, how would you guide young law students uh, who are planning, like who have something in mind uh, regarding like creating an organization, working in the nonprofit sector? And, you know, so how will you guide them? How do, should they start? And what, what mistakes you did and you would like them to avoid those things, things like that? I think um, first and foremost, find a way that you can uh, sustain yourself financially because initially the organization is unlikely that, uh, you know, it'll make money and uh, you need to be able to sustain yourself. Like for my case, I had my own practice which I had while I was building me and so did other people, whoever was a part of me even working in the last two years before we got funding. They had other things going on for them, whether it was employment or, you know, whether they had their own practice, whatever it was. So I think initially you can't have money as a motivation because you need to build some work to be able to get funding, to be able to get people to trust you, to give you any amount uh, to, you know, sort of continue the work that you're doing. So that is one. Regarding mistakes, Prasanna, honestly, uh, you know, touch wood things worked out for me. So even if I did make mistakes, I don't, uh, I can't really say what those were and how I could have done it better because uh, we didn't expect that Neve would get funding uh, 
when when it just uh, turned two years old. So that's something that maybe I can't comment on, but yeah, definitely the things that you need to be taking care of is not give up everything to just start an organization. Another very important thing is that uh, be very careful with the kind of people you choose to work with. You should really know where your interests lie and uh, if they are aligned. You know, if you're looking uh, at working with someone, you need to be sure that you're aligned uh, in the same way. Your motivations are aligned because otherwise it can lead to a lot of trouble and unpleasantness. And while you want to do good work, you don't want uh, that to be marred by unpleasantness that's around. I think that's just some tips that I would like to give. Okay. Right. So over to our last question. Uh, please share an incident from your career which is very, very memorable to you. Good, bad, ugly. <laughs> Anything. Of or this. all of it. <laughs> all of it. Good, I've already told you, you know, yeah, yeah. Uh, about me crying and waking up my husband when I got the funding and just, uh, just uh, I think that was definitely one of the best things that had happened in my professional life. Um, bad, I think, as a woman lawyer who's uh, young, uh, a lot of days in court are bad. And LinkedIn has become my place that I rant about my everyday experiences. And it, I'm just amazed at the kind of things that happen at work. And uh, I think one of the worst experiences that I had was something I posted about recently. was when I got to Gautam Budhnagar, uh, uh, this uh, Surajpur court for a case. And uh, considering it's in greater Noida, you know, physically accessing justice is definitely a problem for Noida people. You know, like how do you expect them to leave everything and commute to greater Noida when financials are a problem? So I'd gone for a pro bono matter over there. And uh, at the gate only I was told, you know, strike is happening, no point going. But uh, we didn't know anything about the case. So I had to see the file anyway. So I went inside, figured out the courtroom. Uh, tried to see the file and then I was told by the end that cash to lag I said no online you know I have to show the screenshot that it says this day then how many do didn't have a time to leave but you have to case ka date to court se pata chalega so I'm like okay but I want to see the file so he said you go to the record room and find out from there so I said okay where is it he just pointed in some vague direction so I went out of the room like you enter from one side you exit from the other and over there I met a lawyer uh, so I asked him a young uh, male lawyer so I asked him, I said, can you please direct me, you know, where this courtroom records are kept? And he said, you see that wall over there? Well, I said, just take a right. So it was a half-built wall. So I said, okay, I went there, I took a right, and he directed me to a gents' washroom. And <laughs> after that, I was like, if I find him, I will really make sure that, you know, this kind of behavior is very untoward. Fortunately for him, he didn't get found. Otherwise, I would have made his life a living hell. But yeah, I think that was just bizarre. And, uh, you know, uh, it sort of, uh, it, it's like someone making an attempt to show you your place in court sort of a thing. And it's really not pleasant. So now I can laugh about it. You know, it's a funny incident that I went to the dead portion. But at that point in time, like I was literally shaking with anger and also hurt and also just being like that this is, this is just not done. This is not how we treat a fellow colleague. Probably just on the basis of their gender. Like sending a man to watch won't be as funny for them. But uh, yeah, I think that was definitely uh, a highlight in a bad sense. I think that will stay with me. Um, and yeah, there's this one time I thought I'll get contempt which would uh, notice again notice again me uh, for one of these matters where I was engaged by this uh, lady who had done uh, legal aid counsels previously and was having a problem. So I went and I find the Vakalit Nama in the case and uh, the date had already been fixed. I said, that's not a problem. Two cases, maintenance and domestic violence. But as long as you can take my Vakalitama on record, because there's some ex parte order that you wishes to challenge. 
so the other side lawyers like you know she's changed so many lawyers and this and that that's her right you know she can change as many lawyers as she wants like it may not be the best conduct but it's not wrong to do that hmm. and then the judge was like oh look at these new lawyers they think they are going to stay but they don't know ye aaj naye hain kal ye bhi purane ho jayenge and then she just went on and on in like nahi sab pata hai inki baaki police ko kuch nahi pata hai but I had to get back to her by saying i did not make any comment about anyone's competency here all i'm saying is I am new on record, so please take my vakalatnama. And I, I was like, I'm, you know, like with all due respect, I was a lady judge. I said, mm. with all due respect, please do not make these personal comments because I have not said anything to that effect. She just looked at me, she's like, "Thunderluck." Like, okay, this is, and I should just actually thunderluck and just shut up and you know get my vakalatnama instead of getting out of the court and dismissed like that. So yeah, that was uh, like I said, you know, it's it's very part and parcel. the bad things but the good things are all you so that's more important that's what i think keeps me going and others also going that you have good days and those are the ones that count the good outweighs the bad yeah i just sorry 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 i was just saying that i miss these things the most since i've left the profession uh such incidents inside the courtroom outside the courtroom and uh, you're still in the profession when you get into here then but you don't have to experience them so it's i think the best that you can speak to lawyers of their experience but you don't have to you don't have to go through that trauma of being a lawyer in delhi at this point in time which can be traumatic at points like not always mostly good for me but yeah some yeah, days because harsh. the courtroom thing reminded me of an incident where like in mumbai sessions court may i was uh, i was obviously like a young lawyer and searching for courtrooms to attend some matter and the courtrooms were not aligned in sequence okay it's and... like noida sectors <laughs> i <laughs> just had to say yeah. like it's like 24 25 26 and 56 and i'm like <laughs> where is this court and i'm searching for 56 in the sequence like in the 50s row like 51 52 and i don't yeah. know about it and then i come to know that the courtroom is here that you have to travel from one building to another building to attend it <laughs> yeah no maybe there's some feng shui involved you know they said 56 needs to be here that's how justice will be dispensed so i no no problem at all 56 makes sense <laughs> okay thank you so much mashika for sharing your experience and this was a great conversation and thank you all for listening to this podcast if you like this episode do check out our other episodes available here and follow us here so that you don't miss out a new episode thank you bye thank you for having me yeah it's great talking to you